You are listening to an Enoch Pratt Free Library podcast. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey starts here. Here. Writers Live series. I am Vivian Fisher, manager of the African American Department at the Pratt Library. This evening it is my pleasure to introduce to you our guest speaker, Michael Days. Mr. Days is editor of the Philadelphia Daily News and under his leadership the Daily News has won dozens of national, state, and local awards including the Pulitzer Prize for investigative reporting in 2010. He sits on the national board of the Associated Press Media Editors and is the former editor of his quarterly magazine, APME News. Days has been a frequent guest and commentator on radio and television in the Philadelphia market, and he is a sought-after speaker, panelist, and moderator in many venues. This evening, he will discuss his new book, Obama's Legacy, what he accomplished as president. Please join me in welcoming Michael Days to Baltimore and the Pratt Library. Thank you for that uh, wonderful introduction, Ms. Fisher. I thought you were going to tell folks I was an Eagles fan and get me run out of this room real fast. (laughs) So listen, what, what I'm hoping to do is to talk for several minutes about the book and Obama and then I'm, I'm really big on conversation and Q&A, so let's plan to do that. But, but let me start out in this way. Um, you know, when this book first came out in, in um, September, end of September, it, you know, we all, the, I've learned now that authors, and I'm a first-time author, so we spent a lot of time going to Amazon, seeing how it's doing and what are you, what's it being compared to. So initially, the book was being compared to a book, uh, called Obama, the worst president ever. People who bought this book, they said, was buying that, buying that book. I found that hard to believe. So I just want to tell you up front, if you're here to hear about how bad he is, you're at the wrong gathering tonight. I'm not, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not glorifying Obama, and I'm not treating him like he's the Messiah. I mean, that's, that would be inappropriate. But I do think one of the reasons I got up every morning at 2.30, 3 o'clock, to work on this book. Uh, one, one of the, well, one of the reasons I really got up is because my wife, her name is Angela Dotson, she's an editor. And when you live with your editor, you kind of get up and do what you're told to do. Otherwise, <laughs> this thing would still be piles of paper all over the house. But she said, you know, get up, be disciplined, write 500 words every day. I'll edit them for you. I'll help you get this organized. So I get, I, even though she's not here tonight, I've got to give her a real shout out for that. I argue that Obama is a transformational president. And I argue that because, one, you know, the people who, who don't particularly care from say, well, that hope and change thing really didn't work. Well, it did work. You know, throughout, if he had not had hope throughout his eight years in the presidency, nothing would have got done. And what you find out when you begin researching what he did on a lot of areas, he got much more done. I was surprised, actually. He got much more done than you would have imagined 
given the intransigence in, in Congress, there was not, he was not getting much help. You know, you, when you think back to day one, um, when he was inaugurated, the key Republicans gathered that same day and said they would make sure that he would be a one-term president, that they would do everything they could do to make sure that his four years, his only his four, were, were, were horrible and that he would not get another term. Well, that didn't work out all that well for them. Um, one of the things I think people are dealing with now is, a lot of people are dealing with now is what's, you know, post-Barack post Obama, what's that going to be like? And I go back to a, a young woman who I quote um, in the book. Her name is Kamara Clayton. She's probably in second grade now. She was in first grade when her parents told her that Barack Obama uh, could not run for president again. You may have seen the, seen the video. It went viral. She cried and she screamed and she rolled over and she said, I can't take this. This is going to be horrible. <laughs> and uh, being a journalist and being a grown man, I'm not quite there, although I think I could get there from time to time. Um, but what I tell folks is that they have to just, we have to just sort of have your moment, have your mental crisis moment if you are worried about where the country's going, um, and then dust yourself off and, and, and get up and get focused. And, and, and I think, and also I think be proud of what Obama was able to accomplish in eight years. I mean, you know, let's talk about does he have a legacy? Yes, he does have a legacy, and I think it will continue to grow in a, in, a way, in a way given who who is coming in. And I know that shows a little bias, but I have a little bias, so I'll present that tonight. When you think about what America was like in the end of 2008, what America was like when he took that office in January 20th, economists were saying, and I think they were being a little nice about it, they were saying we were in a great recession. In fact, the economy was worse than it had been for like 65, 70 years. And one of the things I did when I started working on this book is went back and read, read up on what America was like in 1929, 1930. And it was really pretty bad. 20, unemployment was 25%. People were losing their homes. People were in bread lines. Businesses were sh shuttering. Um, banks were falling apart. Sort of, sort of the way things were in 2008. And so here we have, our first, have the first African-American president. And they say, here, this is your, this is your issue. You know, fix it. And the reality is, he fixed it. You know, the unemployment rate when he, when he was sworn in was about 8%. It went to 10% uh, in his first year of office. What's it now? It's under 5%. 47 That's I mean that's that's extraordinary. And I, you know when Romney raised it, well, I'll work hard to, to get it to at least five percent. Well, he brought it under five percent. The stock market was under eight thousand. Dow Jones is now approaching twenty twenty thousand. Which you know there's been un, there's been a, a repeated constant growth in the number of jobs created in this country since he's since for the last seven years. And I think sometimes. And I'm talking about me. We, we sort of we, we use it as sort of a throwaway line. We fix, you know, he, you know, the economy was horrible. And he fixed it. Well, that was really, really a lot of work. That was 800 billion dollars. And let's not begin to talk too much about the auto industry, 
where college was saying, just you know, let GM go, let Chrysler go. And I think Obama was real clear in that. And until we, unless we fix the auto industry, uh, the economy couldn't be, couldn't be fixed. There was more than a million jo jobs that were saved. And, you know, 88, you know, both of those companies had to file for bankruptcy, were forced to file for bankruptcy under the Obama administration. And now they're all doing, doing quite well. In fact, they paid back the $80 billion within five years. That was real work. And so, you know, when we start talking initially about will his legacy survive, start there. Start with the economy, because if the economy had not been fixed, and, you know, there's still a lot of work to do. Everybody acknowledges that, that you know, we're here now, well, we're going to bring factories back. We're going to bring industrial work back. We're going to have coal again. Is that going to really happen? I don't, I don't think so. But the promises were made, and we, and we shall see. But, you know, are more people working two jobs to make, make ends meet? Absolutely. That, that is the reality of life in America right now. But if you go back to 2009, I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find any economist, even those who didn't believe, think much of him initially, who will say he, did, he fixed the economy. And that, and that you know, you, you can't talk about how huge that, that really is. And the thing we're all talking about now, Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, you know, what, what's going to happen to that? What's going to happen to 20 million people who now have insurance um, who didn't have it five, six years ago? If I was a betting man, and I can be a betting man, I would gamble that it may be called something else, it may have other features to it a year from now, two years, three years from now. But I think it's going to survive. I, th I mean, I don't know how you take insurance from people. And I, the other piece of this, of the Obamacare thing, and I read, write extensively about that, is there, there are pieces of it, I think the brilliant part of it, there are pieces of it that impact everybody. The fact that parents can keep their children on their health plans until they're 26, it's a very big deal. The fact that you cannot be denied insurance because you have a pre-existing condition that's a big deal. I and mean, if you're of a certain age, you have a pre-existing condition, right? Uh, and that the insurance companies cannot cut you off uh, if you have a catastrophic illness and, and, and the, 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 the billings are so high that they say that's it. That, that has happened to many Americans. So those three pieces, in addition uh, to the fact that you have so many millions of people who now have health care. Uh, and in fact, we start, we're all seeing stories and writing stories about people who voted for uh, the president-elect who didn't really think he was kind of serious about this. And a lot of those people have Obamacare. They, the interesting thing is when you, when you really read about people to say they don't like Obamacare, but they love the Affordable Care Act. It's the same thing. So what don't they like? They just don't like Obama, right? Um, I don't think, and please send me, send me an email if I'm wrong. I'll send, you know, uh, I don't think that the Republicans are going to be able to pull this off because you have to, you know, we can repeal and replace. Well, what are they going to replace it with? What we have now is already a Republican plan that was executed to a great extent in, in, in Massachusetts by Mitt Romney. That was the compromise plan, right? I can't imagine going two years from now when we have the interim voting that there would not be health care for people who have it now. Now, I could be wrong. But I just think they, they sort of, you know, it's one thing to say it's got to go, uh, and they may actually repeal it technically, 
but I think you should be looking for a date like 2020. And uh, it's a long time between 2017 and 2020 to turn things around. So I, I think I know everybody's sort of freaking out about that. And I'm, I'm not saying they shouldn't have a reason to, but I, I, I think it's going to survive. Now, will it be called Trump Care? I don't know. Nope. Hmm? Sorry, I won't call it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying? Um, and I think, you know, there have been presidents that go back to Roosevelt that have been trying for some kind of universal health care. Uh, and, and Obama did it. I mean, he didn't get the plan he initially wanted, you know, universal pay. Uh, um, but it's there. And I, and I would argue that once you give people something that they really need, it's hard to take it away from them. Next to impossible. So we'll see. I think we'll see about that soon. And there's some other things I just want to rattle off because I said we were going to talk, right? Um, Support of same-sex marriage. We went from don't ask, don't tell uh, in the military to a country where people, where, where anyone, any two people who love each other can get married. That's, I mean, I think that's huge. And while Obama was sort of in, in the back of the line on that one initially, he got himself to the front of the line. Uh, you know, one nation under God, indivisible, but liberty and justice for all. Uh, I think that's a huge part of, of his legacy. And you look at the issue of women. The first, the first um, law that he, he, he signed was the Lily Ledbetter Act, which you know, doesn't make things perfect for women in the workforce, but it allows them, if they find out they're making less than a man for the same job, they can file suit if there's no limitation on what the date was. Because, you know, it, it, so to me, that's huge. And you look at the number of women he appointed to office, huge, particularly in the judiciary. Two of the women sitting on the Supreme Court now were appointed by Barack Obama. When you look at uh, his positions on violence against women, many, many millions of dollars poured into the, that program. Uh, when you look at uh, women in combat, which had been just not discussed uh, before Obama was elected, you know, you, I think a lot of men have, have conflicting feelings about women in combat, but it is what it is. Women have the right to be in combat uh, if they choose to. LBGT community, that's, that's another huge one. And, you know, there's some concern about what he did or didn't do for Wall Street, but when you look at um, 1929, 1930, I, 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 my sense was uh, the administration was fearful of doing too much, too many censures to the banking industry because it was so important to bring back the economy. Um, and the other couple of things I wanted to mention, you know, when you look, think about sentencing for crack cocaine versus cocaine, particularly in the African-American community, the reality is most people who were addicted or had addictions who were of color were using crack cocaine because it was cheaper. Uh, and most of the white community who were, had addictions were using cocaine. Well. The reality is if you were, you were convicted for the same amount of cocaine, you could make it two, two years for cocaine, but 20 years for crack cocaine. So Obama really reset the table of that. And you, just, you know what he's done in terms of, of, of clemency for guys who were just convicted for, for those kinds of crimes that didn't involve any weapons. Uh, and then I guess I'd say... It's sort of the, the other the intangible thing about Obama is that you know they call we call him no drama Obama 
no scandal, nobody throwing anything out the windows, nobody slipping out in the middle of the night. He, you know, he was somebody, he is somebody I think that people, whether they liked him or not, are proud of. Uh, he made, I think he made a lot of Americans feel proud to be an American. I know he made many of us who are of color feel like this country belongs to us too and being really inclusive in terms of his administration and how he never, and I don't, you don't, I don't think we thought about this six, seven years ago, he never talked about division. He always talked about inclusion and, and that America was for everybody. Um, so, so, where, so where do we go from here? I mean, I wanted to read just one brief piece from my book about what Obama said about himself and about his administration when the health care reform was passed in 2009. And I think it sort of speaks to who he is and, and what I hope Americans will be. Says, I still believe we can act even when it's hard. I still believe we can replace acrimony with civility and gridlock with progress. I still believe we can do great things and that here and now we will meet history's tests because that is who we are, that is our calling, that is our character. And with that, I'm hoping we can have a discussion about what's on your mind, what we want to talk about, Obama, Trump, America, whatever. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, you know, to me, it's unfortunate. I think that she just has no real interest in running for anything. Because I just, you know, she, in terms of a, a, a growth pattern, she went from being sort of reticent, but, you know, she's a really smart, attractive woman, and Ivy League, one side down the other. Uh, but, but, you know, she, she could really, she could really, she could be a politician. Having said that, I think, She's very well respected because of her work with veterans. She's because her works with with uh, nutrition, uh, and I'm hoping. I'm think. I think what she said is that she's going to continue to do those kinds of things going forward. Uh, don't you think? Yeah. I I didn't do a ton because the book was you know. What, what he accomplished as president. I really wanted to focus on the, the accomplishments. What I didn't do a ton with was a lot of the foreign stuff. Now, we're, you know, he has made us much more respected, I think, overseas. But in terms of the Middle East, I think, you know, he inherited a couple of wars, and we all learned that you just can't pack up and move and come back home and think everything's going to be fine. Uh, Afghanistan, Iran, we'll see. Syria is a, you know, that's going to be a work in progress. Did we do the right thing by not going in? You know, as a human being, I guess it makes me uncomfortable that we didn't get involved. But I think uh, the foreign piece is, is a part that you wonder how the incoming president's going to handle. You know, he's, you know, he's much more America first and Let's give everybody a bomb. So I, you know, I'm hoping he's just talking. But I do think I do think, uh, you know, in terms of how we're viewed around the world, much more positive. But some of that nitty gritty uh, issues, particularly the Middle East, you know, you know what's going to happen. Uh, 
Could, any, could he have done more, although in my lifetime, has anybody been able to do more with Israel and Palestine? Palestine I don't know. So, some really thorny issues there. But Cuba, I mean, I, I, you know, you hear the incoming president saying, well, we're going to we have to rethink this. But, you know, the American uh, corporate America has already thought, rethought it. You know, they've got cruise ships going there now, people building hotels. There's no turning back. They'll, like, you know, they'll say, go sit down someplace because uh, people want to go to, you know, every time I look around, one of my friends is going to Cuba. Maybe because, you know, we've got a good friend at Morgan State, right? Uh, but, you know, that's, that's becoming the place to go. I think one of the things that was interesting, and thank you for, uh, for your talk, is in terms of the bank bailout, I was reading a piece that Cornell West had mm -hmm. put out um, recently about this, and I, it was an, an interesting opinion that he had on it. And I think the one part about that specific moment in time is, first of all, I don't think anybody would ever want to face that challenge. Mm -hmm. Incoming president, you know, mm -hmm. one of the worst economic situations we've been in. But I do think that for the 99% that were part of that Main Street, is that there was never, it always seemed, and we've had other um, aspects in our culture where this is the same situation, no one went to jail, or very few people were held accountable. Mm -hmm. And those banks were allowed to pay back the bailout money but then sort of go back to business as usual as a way of saying, I paid my dues and now I'm just gonna go back and you know, hopefully, I, you know, hopefully I'll, I'll do right by you. But I think that for the, the common man, the common woman, I think that was a frustration. And I'm not sure sort of where Obama could have, but it seemed as if he wasn't, his part in that wasn't shown to demonstrate yeah. in that way. Well, for the moment, there is more regulations Frank Don. So we'll see if that lasts. I think, you know, the market's doing quite well now, and I think they're betting that a lot of those regulations are going to be rolled back, rolled back yeah. uh, which is going to, you know, which would get us back to the same place. Um, you know, you could argue both ways. I mean, it would have been, it would have been heartening to see somebody get marched to prison, um, but the decision was made, let's just, you know, let's just get the laws in place and let's get some money in the bank. It was really, yeah, I, I don't think I realized just how horrible it was until I started working on the book. It was really frightening. I'm glad I wasn't paying that much attention. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Yes, sir. Well, you know, I mean, let's start with that first. You know, what does make America great again mean? I mean, I can tell you what black folks hear when they, when they hear that. Make America great again for white people. And, and so you get that dog whistle thing working there. And I think, you know, I've been doing a lot of reading on this. A lot, there are people who believe, they, they don't understand what happened to their job, particularly a lot of small town America. You know, the, the, the factories aren't there anymore. The mines aren't there anymore. And so... They don't want to, they're, saying, you know, they, they're looking for somebody who, uh, who can help make it better for them. And I think, you know, uh, 
certainly those of us in the press, really underestimated the power of that message. Uh, now, in terms of, you know, from your initial question, you know, there are always going to be people in America that are not comfortable with multiculturalism and diversity, but that's, that's who we are. That's where we are in this country. Uh, at least half of us, more than half. I mean, you look at uh, if there was a big mistake made other than the FBI and the Russians and all that, you know, I, I kind of wonder whether Hillary's biggest fault and her, her strategy's biggest fault was that you never really got an understanding of what her vision was. She was always responding to Donald Trump. And the people who were for Donald Trump, it turned out, didn't care what was said, clearly, about him and what he had done or how he had, what he had to say about women or what he had to say about Muslims. They just had decided that he was going to make America great again for them. Um, we'll see how it plays out over two years and whether, they, whether that was just an emotional knee-jerk reaction or whether he is actually able to deliver on some of his promises. Now, in terms of, you know, people have said to me as I've been out and about talking about the book, well, things are really worse um, in the American terms of race relations. I don't know. I think people are talking about it more. I think that social media has given us the tools to just say whatever we want. And I think Donald Trump has give, given people the freedom to say what they want. I mean, you saw right after the election, you know, kids are being bullied in schools and, you know, grade schools, high schools. Uh, and so he, you know, should I put it all on him? Maybe not. But it feels like that whole phenomenon unleashed it all. Well, you are starting to see a lot of grassroots movement now. People working in their counties and in their cities, and you know, there's there's a it turned out to be, I guess, two women talking about going to Washington to have a march. And now it seems like hundreds of thousands of women are going. When is that? The twenty first, and that probably just happened. Men and women, okay, but led by women, right? Okay, good. Uh, and that just sort of happened on on uh, social media, right? People started talking about it, and. Uh, Every other person I know in Philadelphia now seems to be gone. So, I mean, I think, to your point, I do think uh, what, what Obama has done is that, you know, we, you know, we are the change we want to be. And, and people are, are just not, a lot of people just are not willing to say America is a divisive country, that we, that we don't incorporate all those who are here. That's what I'm hearing. Is that what you're saying, pretty much, that we're going to fight this through? I think, you know, um, my sense is um, that we all have suspected uh, this elephant stuck in the closet. And the elephant is out now. So you got to deal with the elephant. And I think in the long run, as we proceed, I think the coalition will be formed and people will stand up and fight back. And that march in Washington. 
It's going to have to be, I guess. I have two questions. Mm -hmm. The first is in, in doing any of this, and I apologize, I didn't look at. Have you, did you investigate any at all his uh, success with education reform in K 12? I would like to hear your comments on that. And then the second part is, I'm just curious, and I'm sure you feel much closer to the president in studying him. What do you think he's doing in his last 10 days in office? What would you, what would you be predictions? Is he watching basketball? Well, they did have a big party, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> the, the party, he, he, he's got a speech coming speech up. Speech tonight. Okay, well, <laughs> maybe if you show up, though, you can get in. He's, I mean, he, more, I mean, now maybe he should have done more of this over the last six, seven years. He's really fighting for his legacy. He's talking a lot about that, but I think what we're hearing is because here tonight, he's going to talk about his legacy, but he's also going to do what you were talking about, telling people to, you know, if you really have, if, you're, if your values are close to mine, let us all fight for that. Let us all fight for a multicultural world. Let's fight for where people have the opportunity to get, to get education, to your other point. You know, there's more, he really focused on Pell Grants, he lowered the boom, which, which well, I should back that up. That it's grants that you can get if you have, I think your household income's under $100,000. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more money for that, at least right now, for all students, all college students. You know, they, he and his wife, they're exhibit A and exhibit B for what an education will do for you. They both come from modest means. They both went to really good schools. And, you know, one got to be president and the other one's first lady. Uh, so, I mean, f education is really important. He, he did lower the boom on the, what do they call them, for-profit colleges? Mm -hmm. um, because it, they, they are, the Obama administration argues that they were taking money, a lot of money, and not preparing young people for Especially anything. Especially for veterans, they were taking the GI benefits. GI benefits, yeah. And students then were depleted their benefits and then not right. walking with right. the right. So From what I could tell in the research book, things are better for veterans. Uh, and, and, you know, and, 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 and given the fact that there's, there's more accessibility for, for college students, uh, it's good. And the other, the other thing that's happening in America is uh, free, you know, this movement toward free community colleges. And I think, you know, I think that'll be a really good thing because, you know, people say, well, they aren't that much, but if you don't have $2,000, it might as well be $20,000 or $200,000. So that would be a way for people to, young people to, not so, and not so young people, work, go to school, and save some money to, to you know, transfer to a four-year school. I think education's really been big with them, and I think that will continue to be a huge thing. Now he got, you know, he got slapped around a bit because he was, you know, particularly with historically black colleges, he was saying you guys need to bring, you know, some of these schools need to really work hard on the standards, and you need, and all these schools need to, need their graduation rates to be much higher than what they were. And people accused him a bit of being you know, anti this, but I think he was just really putting out the call that if you're going to take in a young person, you need to do everything you can to make sure they graduate. Well, I didn't realize this. I, I just, I'm sorry, I know it's oh. I just finished paying off my student loans from my first degree, and I had been given a 12 month um, deferment on my interest, not on paying the loan, mm -hmm. but I could defer it right. for a year. But I was like, no, interest free, I'm, I'm paying off. And so I did, but I didn't realize that that had, had happened. So I'm sure that that really helped a lot of people get out of debt in some way. Well, you know, even now people are saying the young people have too much debt when they come out of college, and they've got a, like an English degree and then and all this debt. So I'm hoping that will continue. Don't you? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. In your research on Obama, did you get a sense that uh, the president was that 
time the elephant will go away or be absorbed uh, into a larger blood, into a larger cultural environment, that the spatial issue in America will go away. Would you really believe that? I think, he, I, I mean, you know, when you talk about hope, he really, he really believes in hope. And I think, you know, Ta-Nehisi Coates had a really interesting piece and with the New Yorker, I guess, or Atlanta, Atlanta, about his background. I really hadn't thought a ton about that, but, you know, here's a guy who was raised largely by his white grandparents in Kansas, you know. You know. His mother was here, there, and then he lived for a while overseas, and he, and he knew of his African-Kenyan father. You know, who's more American than him, really? You know, what's, you know people say, well, you know, he carried all those small towns in, in middle America, uh, you know, twice. Well, he was just talking to his grandparents, you know, in a lot of ways. So I think his, his background allows him the ability to see America in, in a very multicultural way. Uh, I think, you know, when you read some of the, what people have said about him and some of the things he sort of said, said, uh, I think he was a little shocked initially how he was treated. Because, you know, you know I, I, and I say in the book, you know, who, in my lifetime, I've never seen a president treated the way he was treated. Just straight up. Treated like a Yeah. Yeah, and so does that, do you think, potentially give some people a sense of false hope? Because had you grown up in the 60s, mm -hmm. you know, the way he's treated, the way people treated in the 60s, you do He's resilient. I mean, one thing you, when everything he's done, he just sort of works through it. Uh, and I think. Yeah. Well, you know, we're never going to have Nirvana, but you know how we all told our children. They could grow up to be anything. They could grow up to be president. But we didn't really mean it. And now we, now we know it can happen. It's possible, right? So I think, well, if it's happened once, it can happen again. Uh, you know, it may, may, maybe it's not a black person. Maybe it's a, a, a Latina, you know, or, or Cory Booker. You know, you just, you know. <laughs> but I think, you know, once it's happened. And the math. And, the, and when you look at the country. You know, I think one of the mistakes the press made is that they, just mathematically, I think people didn't think that a Donald Trump could be elected. But he, sort of the, he was sort of the reverse of when Obama was elected, where people, black folks, brown folks who had never voted, came out. And I think that's what happened in middle America for Donald. For Mr. Don, President Trump, I should say, but should be respectful. <laughs> President-elect. For a few more days, right? Yes, sir. I just have a question. First of all, thanks for coming on. I do want to acknowledge President Obama for the accomplishments he had made in the graduates since he took office, such as when Saddam was Bengali, taking him out. No, Bin Laden, he... Yeah, yeah. That was Bin Laden. Uh, the death is, 
and I feel and I feel other things, but I just want to ask the question, don't you think uh, we are now seeing the destruction and destabilization of America by Obama instituting gay marriages? Because what we are now we, we are now going to see is our young men and women will grow up, especially with more people being in jail, no, no example, no model. Uh, growing up and that they don't know how to be a father and how to be a mother and they don't want to take commitment. Don't you think we, we are we are deviated <coughs> as a nation from from one nation one nation under God because this country was one well, <coughs> this country was founded on the principles of a man a, a man to a woman, not a man to a man. But a woman to a woman. Well, you certainly are not. But let me let me just say this: people have been gay forever. Uh, but so, what has happened? I think in my lifetime, the last ten years, maybe the last less than ten years, uh, people are much more comfortable living the lives that they want to live, as opposed to living closeted lives. And and I think one of the one of the for me, one of the core values of America is that, within reason, people have a right to live their lives and to love who they want. And I think, you know, it's taken, you know, and our churches, my church, uh, likely has an issue with that. But, you know, the reality is, I think we're being hypocritical. You know, who's in the choir? Who's playing the organ? You know, who's really active? And... You know, I understand your 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 Where are you from originally? Liberia. Liberia. Okay, a lot, a lot of my, my a lot of my brothers and my church brothers are from Liberia, so I know that point of view. But I think the American point of view has been and and increasingly needs to be that America is for everybody. Otherwise, you get into who's who's getting locked up for what and who shouldn't do what. And if we're pledging allegiance to the flag, the liberty and justice liberty and justice for all, then that's our, that's a core belief. I don't think, you know, I don't think it has anything to do with bringing down America. I mean, you could argue maybe corporate greed has something to do with bringing down America, that we aren't selfless enough. But, you know, I would push back hard on that. People are, people don't become gay or lesbian or L, whatever. No, it's not a choice. It's not a choice. I don't think if it was a choice, everybody'd be heterosexual. It'd be a lot easier to be heterosexual. It'd be a lot easier to be heterosexual and a white man in America. Okay. No, no. That's <laughs> that's how, I would debate that, not okay. argue, but that is a choice. Well, on that one, we'll have to agree to disagree. But, uh, but I hear your point.
I know for sure. Me personally, I would never ever do that if I was to be president. Matter of fact, I would even some things I wouldn't say, but I, I wouldn't say but I would eradicate that they did or because mm -hmm. I that's what I would do. And now everybody may not agree with me, but that's just my opinion. Well, you've got a president coming in now that probably agrees with you, so. But I, but I don't agree with you, Joanne. Boy, that's a that's a lot. <laughs> Let's start with Trump. I think we're all struggling to figure out how to cover him. And I know certainly the New York Times, the Washington Post, Wall Street Journal. There was a number of pieces in the last couple of weeks about we can't. You know, we 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 have spent a lot of years saying a lot of people say they misspoke or we they were taken out of context. You know, and, and, and just to be truthful about it, this the, the incoming president tells a lot of lies, and so we've got to get. <laughs> so we got to get comfortable just saying that was a lie. Now, you know. And do you think the press is prepared to say that? I think you're starting to see it now. And well, he's—I mean, he. You know, every morning we wake to two or three tweets, and then everybody's checking the tweets to see how, what what part of it is true. And most of the time, hardly any of it is true. Well, you know, yeah. what has not been said or stated is when President Black met with the CEO of the network, he just simply said, well, we're okay. The CEOs haven't said a word, so we don't know how they're going to treat him. But we do know how the networks and the media treat him. How did they? How did they treat him? You know, I don't think enough. I don't think they were very kind. You know, my biggest frustration, and I know I'm print more print centric, although I've got to, had to learn how to do, be a digital editor, is cable and they'll have a panel of four or five people and half of them are saying stuff that's just completely crazy and nobody's pushing back on it and I think you know, you know we're all like biting our nails about fake news well I mean how are we going to know the difference when so much of fake news is coming from the people we elected at this point in terms of Barack Obama you know I think he got an okay shake I think we I wish we had pushed more and we will push more now on what is the truth because it's such a thin line between what's, what is a lie and what is the truth right now in this country. So I think we gotta, we've got to do a much better job of challenging everything. So when you say we... When I say we, I'm talking about the press. I, I'm very much a part of it. I mean, I've been in this business 40 years, so... And that's just half of it. Because I think responsibility lies with all of us. If we, as citizens, in yeah. a democratic society, mm -hmm. Do not demand mm -hmm. the truth, then you're not going to get the truth. But more and more, I mean, I, and I know my bias is, is newspapers and stuff, but I think there aren't there aren't that many institutions left that have feel the responsibility 
to strive to tell the truth day in and day out. Now, some days we don't do real well, but most that's what we should strive to do, and that we're one of the few entities left that, that can convene people and can say, look, you need to pay attention to this, whether they do or not. I mean, I thought, I thought the press didn't do a bad job on Trump and writing about his issues, but people, I mean, there are people just didn't really care. Am I wrong? I don't think you're wrong, um, and that's the price you pay as a society when the focus is much more on entertainment rather than mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So you look at, just take a moment when you sit down and look at the news, you look at this big background. You know, in the old days, and I'm not saying this, you go back to the old days, you brought the you had all these people typing in the background and stuff. Now these sets, as if they came off a set in Hollywood. So it seems they want to entertain you more than inform you. So I'm frustrated when I sit down and you know look at television for the news and inform. I feel like I walk away being misinformed. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Um, uh, first of all. I want to talk about Obama personally as to what he expected uh, when he ran for office uh, and uh, about the uh, racist backlash. I think he expected that. He understood that at this time. The so-called first black president of the United States, Bill Clinton, he received a whole lot of backlash, all right? Both he and Hillary, when they came in the now, I've also heard about, uh, a couple people mentioned about what this country is based on, the core values. Right? I want to relate that to uh, <coughs> Donald Trump being called a lie. As the 45th president, he is not uh, the first one to be a lie. When we look at the so-called core values, of the United States and what it was founded on. It was founded upon two major crimes against humanity. The, uh, how should I say it? Uh, say it. Uh, Just say it. I'm, I'm trying, no, I, I want to uh, use a term that they began using for the uh, Bosnian War. No, uh, ethnic cleansing, all right? It was genocide, right? So this country, from the Atlantic to the Pacific, is founded on genocide of the Islamic people, the Native American Indians. Uh, the next thing that it is founded on is the racial chattel enslavement of Africans. Now here, here's an example of the mendacity of American culture and uh, politics. Uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Now who wrote that? Name them. No, name the particular individual that wrote that. Thomas Jefferson. All right? Thomas Jefferson. And what was he? Say it louder. Yes. He was a racist. 
So this is what America was founded on. This is what American capitalism was founded on, and this is what it exists on to this very day. Right? I think we have to acknowledge that and stop beating around the bush and using core value. Because uh, we look at all the speeches of Barack Obama talking about the core values and America's promise. There was never any American promise to, uh, to be righteous to Native American people and to African people. What the promise was, was to take away everything that American Indians had. They call it manifest destiny. And to subordinate black people to racial cattle and slavery. This is the truth, but it's a truth that will never be acknowledged by those who benefit from it. And when we look at the institutions of this country, if you want to know who is really in charge, here, anybody have a dollar on them, a dollar bill or something? All right? That's a Federal Reserve note. And the Federal Reserve Bank is not a government institution. It is an institution of bankers who control the economy. Right? This, this is the truth of capitalist society, whether it's Canada, United States, Britain, or France. Am I lying? Yeah. I don't. I don't think everything you said was true. But I guess I, my position is, you know, it's closer to Obama's position that we move, we're striving toward a more perfect union because there's no place to go but up, right? You know, at the but where you're talking about that point, you know, uh, women 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 were chattel, pretty much. Uh, you go back to that period, blacks were enslaved, right? Indians were killed or pushed pushed as far west as they could be pushed. There has, would you acknowledge there has been some progress? Oh, of course. It's been progress, but there hasn't been. But the progress that was, that was made was made by the exploited, the oppressed, mm -hmm. the degraded, right? Black people and white people and uh, Native American Indians and Latinos fought against exploitation, oppression, and degradation, mm -hmm. right? See, so uh, it wasn't something that was given no. by any of the liars, mm -hmm. whether it be George Washington, I have to exclude John Adams, because he was not a slave owner, Thomas Jefferson, or James Madison. Here's one for you, brother. All right? The capital of Liberia. What's the capital of Liberia? Monrovia. Monrovia. All right? The irony of this is here you have a country named after the, uh, the God of Justice, Liber, and the capital of the country is named after an American racist, James Monroe. Monroe, named after a crack, right? No, I'm not disputing any of that. I'm just saying America is deviating, that's what that means. America is deviating? Yeah. Deviating from what? The standard of the public institution. No, it's not deviating. Oh, yeah, yeah. It is. It is. It is still on track. 
right? Those who have exploited or who, has, or who are the descendants of exploited are still in place, still in power. It is still on track. It is still prepared to exterminate, right, uh, black people if black people rise up. It is still prepared uh, to exterminate any person, black, white, brown, red, or yellow, if they talk about socialism or communism. Okay, but if it wasn't right, uh, natural, I know other people have uh, questions, but if, if, if it wasn't, why would it be a whole lot of our teenagers, our teenage mothers, and single mothers? I don't think you two are having the same conversation. Somebody else would. Yeah, I, that's Okay. I've read that, yeah. I, I was not expecting the extent of it. I guess I had to lose myself in thinking that we would be young there. But they reminded me very quickly just how vicious. Well, you look at how we raised, and he, you know, he was the golden boy in Illinois. I mean, it took him a while to get there, but you know, he's a guy who was just in state legislature. Next thing you know, he's in, in, in Congress and senator. Probably the second or third black senator since Reconstruction, and then he's running for president. Well, you know, Braun was probably first. First, yeah. An African American senator from the state of Illinois. Republican. But, you know, I'm sitting there when doing the inauguration, I'm thinking, you know what? I'll just say those white Republicans are going to fight mm -hmm. him every mm -hmm. step of the way. Were you watching the, the inauguration and then the, the drive up to whatever they were going, I guess, to Congress for lunch, and when the, the president and the first lady got out of the car? Yeah. What did all the black people think? Get back in the car. Right. <laughs> because I think we were all nervous that, that this thing was only going to last for a minute. I mean, he's a guy who believed that people could get together and come up with the, what was best for America, and a whole lot of people just didn't want, just wanted them out of there, yeah, right? They didn't know, care what was best for America. In the school, they debate this stuff all the time. Right. So this, this, that was his experience, and he just, he has admitted. Mm -hmm. I'm not just saying. No, I know he, he has. On occasion, that you know, I think I was a little naive when I walked into mm -hmm. his office, and I really. Is not prepared of the extent of this backlash. I really thought that people of good faith would sit down and say, listen, we have a problem. Let's put our heads together and figure it out. Mm -hmm. But then, 
he should have known when Mitch McConnell got in front of millions of people and said without reservation, my goal is to make this man one term president. I understood exactly what he was saying. We're going to fight this black man every step of the way. He is not going to have any kind of positive legacy. And they fought him every step of the way. Do you think he's going to have a positive legacy, ultimately? I'm not a historian. But if you were one, what do you think? No, but when, I, when I travel back to 2016, and I transit into another dimension, <laughs> and I time travel, yes. and I travel back to 2016, I think his historian is going to be very kind to of him. Yes. Good, because that's, that's the same sentence I wrote. Thank you. <laughs> because when, you know, given what he had to deal with. What he had to deal with, when he took the oath of office, not only in the economy, but a very divided country, a very divided Congress, and to have survived right. a lot right. for eight years, to me, within itself, is miraculous. Mm -hmm. Country's still divided, but you wonder, really is it going to be more divided? I don't know. I thought he was going to go the way of John Kennedy. I really thought that. I said, you know, he won't make it as far as John Kennedy. But he did. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Uh, one of the legacies that I personally will remember him for is, is not even a policy position, but the way he was a healer, particularly Mm -hmm. I agree, and I, and I think was, all that was happening during the time when I think he was feeling real, a real failure in terms of not being able to move the whole gun issue along. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, to the point where, you know, he would cry. <laughs> He's, you know, after the, all those little children were killed in Connecticut. Was it Newtown, Connecticut? Because personally, I thought, well, that, something's going to happen now. You, you're slaughtering six-year-olds? Yeah, yeah. And nothing. Nothing happened. So, I mean, that, I, mean, I think it really resonated with him. I'm not saying he didn't try. And he was crying and beating his fist against the thing and trying to get something going. But, you know, I, it's the NRA just that powerful. Because remember that Democrats in the House got down on their knees. I remember. Asking the Republicans, could you please work with us in passing comprehensive and sensible gun control? And they wouldn't. And not one Republican yeah. stood up and said we wouldn't work with you. Not one. And now they control the House of Representatives. Mm -hmm. And the Senate. Because you put things in front of but back to your point, I man, I thought one, and I argue that in the book, one of his finest moments in terms of being the counselor-in-chief and the healer-in-chief was in Charleston when he went to that church, uh, Reverend Crickett's church, and broke out in song. And he just, you know, that's something you just feel. 
when you know that's the right thing to do. And, you know, you, I'm sort of looking forward and wondering when this happens again, because it's going to happen again, unfortunately, what, how is the president-elect going to handle that? I mean, I, some, of, some of this, I think, that really does speak to Obama's legacy, because I don't think it's going to be quite the same. Let me get this lady back in there. Mm -hmm. I guess we should be fine. One of Dr. King's uh, interviews, he was asked about the Black Panther Party and his when people started attacking him for criticizing Vietnam. You know, and it, it was a Mike Douglas interview. Mm -hmm. And you know, and look at how many people turned against These were all people who were sympathetic to you. And he said a, a true leader <coughs> is a molder of consensus, not a follower of consensus. He said, and if you change your position, you know, about something that you truly believe in, then it must not have been your position. Those people who turned against you, you said they were for civil rights, and they were for ending, you know, endless wars, wars, and they weren't really about that. Because you know? a, a leader doesn't follow a consensus. They mold it, mm -hmm. they shape it, and they provide actual leadership. I just wanted to know if you saw that. And so how do you see Obama in that vein? Is he a, not a molder? Um, I didn't see a lot of, well, what's her name, Shirley Sherrod? Mm -hmm. That she was here. And I asked her about that, about this very question, because what I saw Obama do was jump on the bandwagon and start mm -hmm. attacking her. Now, afterwards, of course, he came back and he apologized over and over and over. But mm -hmm. I'm like, what do you mean? You're the president. Mm -hmm. If you thought she said something wrong and she didn't, racist, distorted her words, right? And he jumped on the bandwagon and started mm -hmm. attacking her alongside racists. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really see leadership there or in other situations. You know, you, again, you're the president, you call her up and say, look, I just heard some disturbing news. You mm -hmm. know, what is it that happened at this, this convention? What is it that you said? Mm -hmm. He didn't do that. That didn't seem like much of a leader. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I would never, I would never argue that he was flawless because he's not, he's human like everybody else. But I, on certain issues, I think he's been pretty good in helping sort of to shape policy and the whole issue of, of sentencing. Right, that, that's a huge one. Wasn't that supposed to be one of the first things he'd do? You know, and I, I noticed that he kept talking about what the Congress, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, wasn't Guantanamo opened by executive decision? Bush opened it. He didn't ask Congress to right. vote on mm -hmm. it. He opened it, executive decision, which means executive decision, you know, the head of state could close it. Didn't need a congressional vote mm -hmm. to do it. You know, but my time still Well, one of the challenges with that, I think, is once you bring all those people there, where are you going to send them? No Nobody no wants to take them. Yeah. I'm not saying that you're, you're not wrong, but, you know, there you are. What are there, 50 people before, left? Before he became yeah. president. And you got, where are they going? Who's taking them? And keep in mind now, I'm sorry. I'm sure. Do you see many more films about Obama 
don't know. I don't think so. Do you think? I don't. I think we're gonna be, the times we're living in now. That's it's gonna be real life movie to watch. I think Hollywood. Somebody in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. There's one out now. Well, listen, I really have enjoyed this, huh? One more. Oh yeah, definitely. Thank you for coming out. I really enjoyed this good conversation. Thank you. This podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library and the Maryland State Library Resource Center. For more information and to access more library resources, please visit prattlibrary.org.